Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is The Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Jack. For our guest today, please welcome Debbie Millman, writer, educator, artist, brand consultant, and host of the radio show Design Matters, the world's first podcast about design and inquiry into the broader world of creative culture through wide-ranging conversations with designers, writers, artists, curators, musicians, and other luminaries of contemporary thought. For more information, you can visit www.debbymillman.com. That's www.debbymillman.com. Hello, Debbie. We're happy and honored to have you on The Modern Architect today. Thank you, Tom. It's really great to be here. Oh, that's terrific. You know, I'd like to start with something funny, if there's anything funny. How was your, uh, your trip into Stanford today? Oh, it's super easy. Super, okay. uh, no traffic. Loved the ride. Loved being on the highway and seeing the Stanford <laughs> oh, University. Oh, it's gorgeous today as well, huh? The the campus. And it's kind of bucolic. Yes. Is that the yeah. right word? Yeah, I guess you can call it that. It can be that way sometimes. Yeah, Deb, I wanted to start. What are some of the your your early inspirations? I know we'll kind of take it back from where you are now here today. What were some of your early inspirations as to how and why you, you're doing what you're doing and uh, so multifaceted? Well, I think I'm a perfect Venn diagram of my parents. Oh, really? <laughs> In a lot I of like ways. That. My dad was a pharmacist and had his own pharmacy from the time I was in, I guess, about fourth grade, fifth grade. Okay. And from the time I was very young, I was endlessly fascinated by the kinds of things that were sold in his store. I was completely entranced by the goody barrette spinning display that was in his in his store okay. and when my mom would take me to visit my dad while he was working I'd stand in front of it as if it were some sort of altar and I'd worship at no the way. barrettes an, an altar you really <laughs> so so there was the early fascination uh, with brands okay and then my mom as I was growing up she was both a, a seamstress and a, a bit of a Sunday artist but she used to make custom clothes for people, and 
after she was finished making each outfit, she would draw the outfit on a fashion model and then cut little squares of the fabric that she used to make that particular outfit and hang them up in her studio. And so I would mimic her style, and that's essentially how I learned how to draw. Really? Yeah. Oh, Debbie, so you were—I can kind of visualize you at—how uh, old do you think that was? I was probably—this was—when she had her business, I was 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay. Yeah. And it's quite vivid then. Oh, it's Even very now. vivid, very vivid. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one time being in her studio and playing with her India ink canisters and <laughs> spilling something— and got a drop of India ink on one of the outfits that she had made. And it happened to be a white, almost um, silk gown. And I didn't know what to do because it was a tiny, <laughs> tiny little drop, a pinprick. But I'd done that. Yeah. And I didn't. I didn't know what to do. I was you still noticed paralyzed. that small? I did because I, it splashed, but it was a teeny tiny pinprick of a splash that landed on the dress. But you still noticed it? Oh, yeah. Okay. And so I had this real moral conundrum about whether or not to say anything <laughs> because you could barely see it. Yeah. But yet I had done this terrible thing. And well, so, terrible to you at the time, yeah. Well, it was a dress that yeah. my mother had made for someone who had paid her and this expensive, beautiful oh, fabric okay. and... I ended up telling her, and my grandmother was visiting, and my grandmother was so angry with me. She started to pull on her hair while she was screaming that I had done this terrible thing. She didn't pull her hair out, but okay. I'll never forget <laughs> it. And I was mortified and, and, and ashamed of myself in a way that I can still feel today. And that was like wow. 48 years ago or something. Yeah. So what became of it? She had to remake it. She had to oh, remake really? the dress. There so, was no way to get India ink, a tiny pinprick of India ink, off of this magnificent gown that she had made. I was in yeah. real trouble. Yeah. No, okay. Now I'm, now I'm with you. Get, get the story with it. You know, it's interesting. You talk about that, that tiny drop. And uh, I was just listening. Actually, um, there's a great uh, musician you've heard, Miles Davis. Of course. And, and uh, one, one of the things he talked about is in a mistake. Someone asked him, you know, how do you deal with when you're playing with new members and they come on and they're, they're, they make a mistake? And he said in this sort of raspy face, hey. raspy, yeah, yeah. Um, mistakes, hell, that's when I know I'm on to something. What's your thought on that? Making no, a mistake. I don't think I. I don't think I was onto anything. Not I was, there, but now, oh, oh. yeah. If, oh, if you yeah. if you take it into in now, actually, in, in everything. Now I don't, but I mean, I'm just telling you a story that I recall. But how, what are your thoughts on something like when you do think you make a mistake, and can you actually turn that into something greater than if it that mistake or perceived mistake was never made? That's an interesting question. I I think if I look back on my life, the things that I'm really ashamed of are the things that I didn't tell or the things that I didn't confess to while I am mortified that I was so careless and caused my mother and my grandmother so much <laughs> angst. I don't regret the way that I handled it. I'm actually glad that I yeah. said something because if I hadn't, I think I'd be plagued by the guilt of that to this day. Yeah. And I would look back on it with real shame as opposed to just feeling like an idiot that I did this careless thing and yeah. caused all of this 
trauma to the yeah. family. But you know what's interesting is so much of your your work, at least the work that I've seen of, uh, from what you've done, is you're improving upon what is the, what was there. Well, one hopes. Yes. Yeah. Well, one hopes. No, it really it really is. So I'm seeing I'm, I'm I'm seeing the segue into that moment, that galvanizing moment where you, you at pinprick is that the it was know, a pinprick. Yeah. Well, that's it's so inf- so it was tiny. it was. Tiny. I know it is so, t- so and tiny. And I was so tempted to just think nobody will notice. But that you know what that could have launched you that moment as much as you may have felt ashamed at that time. That could may have been a catalyst for you in your in your life as it is today. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and not just not the the value judgment of it, but the actual the the celebration of it and the building of it. And speaking of the building of it, you're renovating on your your, your <laughs> home. Been, yeah. We renovating. talked about this shit before we got on yes, the Yes. A gut renovation of a brownstone in New York City. Oh nice. How's that going so far? Well it's nearly done. Um but it's been amazing. I mean it, yeah. it's been harrowing to some degree and until we got the team right, it was really challenging when you go into a situation like that, or let's put it this way, when a novice goes into a situation that way, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what to to ask. You don't know what to expect. You are completely oblivious to all of the issues that arise in a renovation. And I remember, I remember my contractor saying to me when I was negotiating with him and we were really going back and forth about what the uh-huh. overall budget was going to be. And he said, well, this is the budget that I can give you, but once we open the walls, we'll have to, you know, see what happens. I can't guarantee that the price is going to stay the same. And I really couldn't understand what that meant. And I asked him, I, I'm like, what are we going to find in the walls? Like Harry Potter? <laughs> you know, Hopefully. How, yeah. how is that going to change? Yeah. And, and it's only when you go through it, then you yeah. begin to realize what else there is that the eye doesn't see when yeah. you're doing these things. And it really, it was a gut renovation. We took the house down to the original wood, the original studs. I saw beautiful nails that were created in the late 1800s. Oh, that's terrific. <laughs> so, yeah. so it was really, but, it, but it's been an incredible experience. And once the lion's share of the work was done and I was, and I got my certificate of occupancy and I was able to move in, then I started to do what I think a lot of people are often afraid of will happen when somebody starts doing plastic surgery. You know, you get kind of addicted to it. And so I think I've become addicted to construction. <laughs> so now that oh, the it, house It can is, be a disease. I have it very much so. So, yeah. so the house was done and I moved in and then I'm like... Maybe we could do the backyard, and maybe we could do the roof, and you know, and and put a, a solarium up there. You know, it's like crazy, and oh, I, I, like I can't, idea. I can't yeah. stop coming up with new ideas. So, so that's a part of your life. It is a part of my basis. life. Do you remember the, the show Murphy Brown? Yes, I do. And she yeah. had Eldon, her housekeeper okay. or the man that was doing all of the, the contracting in the house. Oh, and he was ended. just like living. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of the way it's becoming yeah. in my life now with, with Seth, my contractor. <laughs> so you have a place for him or is he building a place for himself? Yeah, yeah, he's could... building a place for himself with my money outside of the house. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, you said something, well, many things that were interesting, but one in particular is you don't know what you don't know. And in, in working with clients throughout the years are they that way when they you approach them or they approach you do they are they that uh, are they that unaware of the process that they're need to they're they're going to need to go through to get to kind of an outcome that they they envision in their mind it's actually even worse than that okay you share with me how, because, how is that worse? well generally speaking if somebody is coming to you to help them with their brand 
they're doing it because they don't know how to. Or they don't have the okay. scale, the facilities, it. the staff. There's any number of things. In the same way that I need to hire an architect or a contractor or a decorator or anybody, it's mm-hmm. because I don't know how to do those things. Yeah. And oftentimes, when people don't know how to do something, in the in the same way that I couldn't understand what are we going to find in the walls, little <laughs> little elves, you know, yeah. I am often asked similar types of questions about, well, can't you just press a button and then the color changes? Or can't you just give me 53 variations on this typeface because typefaces are plentiful and how hard could that possibly be? I mean, there's any number of questions that some of are, which are legitimate. I mean, all questions in some ways are legitimate, but questions that are, that are naive and questions that are more based on investigation or curiosity. Yeah, how do you how do you address it? Is there is there a a mental rehearsal you go through to address that, or is each individual different? Each situation is different. Uh, both okay. easy answer, but not f- terribly fulfilling answer. In that every challenge has a framework that you can place on it in terms of developing steps that take you from one thing to the next, and in, in your journey towards developing or refurbishing or reinvigorating a brand. And that journey is based on some very specific things that need to be done, mostly having to do with positioning, which is really what most people think of as branding. Branding is really not a a journey. It's a result. Say that again. Branding is not a journey. It's a result. Okay. The journey towards developing a brand is really about sound strategic positioning, which includes a lot of different disciplines. But in order to be able to develop that brand, you need to do these specific things. So the actual term branding is in many ways a, a misnomer. I love it. Even okay. though, yeah, now I run a, I run a yeah. graduate program in branding. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but because that's what people understand as a process, but the journey of that process includes investigating cultural anthropology, behavioral psychology, economics, design, market research, and all of those things then result in the brand. Yeah. Okay. So I never, I've never heard of it put that way. How how important is not I forget it, how important is positioning? Although you help a number of people, are there even more that you see that you could help that just never reach out, or that uh, do you approach them? You know, just going down the street, you can see oh, if that you know this laundromat put a sign here, just like here, you know, you came into the studio and we had a sign. I said, well, that sign I know it's in here would have been much better served if it was out there, so you knew how to get into the studio. But it's here in the it's here in our in our studio rather than in the walkway that you can find out. Oh, that's where the KZSU studios are. How how do you shift their mindset to go from not knowing what they don't know to even knowing what they know that may be incorrect and not get them that outcome? Well, it is a challenging, slippery slope. <laughs> okay. Let's, do, let's go back to that just a moment. I'm gonna, we're going to go for a okay. break. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford University, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Debbie Millman, writer, educator, 
artist, brand consultant, and host of the radio show Design Matters. For more information, you can visit www.debbymillman.com. That's www.debbymillman.com. Say that a bunch of times. Debbie, you were talking about a slippery slope. When you, okay. <laughs> I, went, I went down one there for a second. What, 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 describe what you mean by... Well, I often joke that the only people that really like brand changes are brand consultants. Okay. No one else is waiting on the edge of their seat (laughs) for a brand to be changed. In fact, because most brands have an enormous amount of recognition in our culture, we tend to get really, as as a species, we tend to get really freaked out when things change. I mean, just look what happened with the Formula One logo. The Formula One logo redesign was the number one trending topic on Twitter globally. Really? A few days ago. Yeah. The Formula One redesign of the logo. I mean, that's pretty intense. Yeah, who did it? Do you, can you um, have liberty to share? Or? You can go to the site Brand New, which okay. has a really, really good expose of it. it. talks about the entire redesign, how it was done, why it was done. And I think that's the best place to send people for details about it. Because I'm not, while I'm completely familiar with what was done, I'm not completely familiar with the backstory or the strategic underpinning of why it needed to be done. Okay. So that's really the big issue. So because most people look at changes and become uncertain about what it means and why it means and why did it happen, human beings always perceive ambiguity negatively. Always. We don't look at something that we don't understand and feel good about the possibilities. We look at something that we don't fully understand and we hope that it's not going to kill us. And that's just you think it is deeply that, wired in our DNA. Really? So you think absolutely. it is It is primal? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Even now, 21st Even, century? Absolutely. Look what happened when Tropicana changed. I mean, my goodness. Oh, yeah, yeah. I okay, mean, you would yeah. have thought, I mean, Formula One, you would think that those types of conversations would be relegated to industry magazines or ad age mm-hmm. or, I mean, there, there wouldn't be this global conversation now and yeah. this weigh-in and then people redesigning their own logo versions so that they could show that they could do it better even without the expertise and whatnot. Yeah, I've seen that quite a bit. In fact, one that I'm very familiar with, it's convenient, is NFL, you know, oh, the helmets. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 um, the insignias on the helmets have changed. They didn't change it, but someone went ahead and did, here's what it could like, look like or may look like. And actually, most of them were more dynamic, I thought, than even the original. But maybe that's because... Uh, I kind of call myself the early adopter's early adopter. I don't know if there's such a term to it, but yeah, I'm always looking for something new, but you're right, most most folks aren't. So even with, with uh, that primal, that response, actually reaction from people and with artificial intelligence now becoming more of a play, it's actually co- topics of conversation daily around here. It's just where we, where we live out here. What it still seems, regardless of all your technical and your metrics, that that visceral level reaction still going to transcend all the numbers? Absolutely. We, as brand consultants, have to be able to balance on this continuum of familiarity and surprise. We need to be able to create something that will still be recognizable, but also do something to enliven the experience. Why it's really important to talk with them 
when you're making these types of changes. We really learn about behavior through observation. Anytime you ask a question, it's as with anything, as opposed to asking them. Because once you ask them... If you share that with them before you discuss this with them, they might get a little put off. Well, a lot of research people in a room, the, the minute you get two people in a room... You're going to have all sorts which we judge each other instantly in every moment of every day becomes enacted to the basic human truth. You're getting posturing. You're getting opinionating. You're getting what happens where you can persuade somebody just by the sheer virtue of you being persuasive. Said, you know what? Debbie is always persuasive, but she's not always right. Oh, okay. And that's why you can't. It's not possible to have eight strangers come into a room and have kumbaya. Extremely difficult to get at real understanding of human behavior with that it's possible. But you you said basic human truth. Eight thousand. You don't have qualitative research with eight thousand people. No, 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 because that's a really interesting that's a thing that has multiple choice ten different multiple choice questions that has that have enormous implications in that person's path to deciding that you have no How much would you put into discovery and creativity if this one is more important or less important? David and I removed all the the other the excess marble. Is it I wanna say no. Because something specifically from their point of view that they want to understand. Angelo case, yes, there might have been a a patron. And so I'm not exactly sure. Okay, yeah. But did he create or discover? I mean, you you obviously disagree with that. That, That's the kind of... Standing of war. All of these things contribute to of one human being. They did at the beginning. You know, there was a mystery. But now, more often than not, the values or the point of view or the strategy, my altruistic point of view about what is possible for humanity, you know, to use their own personal views as a way to express their ideas. Are not too dissimilar. No, they're not. Not, not when they're how, both how so from value. You have to be able to understand supply and demand, and you have to be able to deliver a return on that investment. Yeah, speaking of the return on investment, how how do is to actually change it so that it's ultimately what profitable? Mm-hmm. Really, that's really the end game, exactly. is it not? Results. You can create methodology. There's no way to be able to say we're going to make this change and your market share is going to go up twenty three point two percent. Artificial intelligence. Then I do. Oh yeah, let's get going on this. But it seems like it's a metric to measure. Is it you you put the uh, data science. And big future in that. Absolutely. And there's a lot of other ways now that marketers are tracking. And people have have thought that that was um, voodoo. But it it (laughs) question about scientific methodologies, is it replicable? Can you show this to be something that can um, a package? What do you see first? What do you see second? What do you see third? They're able to measure those. Make up a promo so everyone can just have a break. Yeah. Okay, here we go. El Ferolito. Check it out. Excellent. We're talking today with Debbie Mill, www.debbiemillman.com. Debbie, we're talking about all that you've worked with where you've seen, you've gone from just the first introduction to actually, here's a kind of... Predicting the president in 2016. So I then have very contradictory responses to the same things depend that I make for a brand on data alone. 
Yeah. So you're actually obviously from a lot of experience, but just what is it that just buy the things in their lives to be part of various brands. We are highly, highly influenced by the behavior in those tribes. And we're socialized. Tribes even. Yeah. For example, I I remember being in a, in some market research and we were doing some And so we had one woman who on the screener that we had device oriented people. And so we had this woman who, who met the criteria based on her own self-select sodas and things that, Certain people on a spectrum, but somebody else that only eats organic and only shops in food co-op don't even realize in the way that we live. We are saying certain things about people. (laughs) Generally speaking, you could ask anybody, do you think that it's beneficial to recite? Something that is so sort of irrelevant in our lives. Light oh, brown, yeah. that craft color. <laughs> Someone's tried that. Okay. Yeah. No, because yeah. it's not still the number one selling toilet paper in the world. Yeah. And that would be a really, Based yes, on, yes. But, but yeah, you, how do you shift mindset to, to that? Right. You talk about values of people. How do you equate values of people? Is it, is, is it easy to equate? Exception of branding. So when I started working in this discipline in Neville's work, <laughs> and I can understand that. And then over the of movements that have been developed to question those valuations that are fundamentally against the idea of this consumerist, you know, they have websites and they have logos (laughs) and they are, why do we do this? Why do we create these constructs in an effort to understand you are deliberately differentiating one thing for an, for one thing from another use is we actually have seen in the last two years, Peter, but what we've seen in the last two years is a something and to enact change. And so we started to see this with the hashtag year. And I would, I would contend that this is the most successful, the day after the inauguration when millions, uh, Oh, I forgot our word already, but we should, but we're, you're conscious of that decision of, and well, this is the first time I saw it to yeah. that extent that embraced soap hats. So here is a brand that's being created that doesn't have a PL, it doesn't have exact way. And how do you, you get to the heart of that? There's an essence. It's something yeah. that is created with very intense emotion and often a lot of anger. Fear has to play in how people change or don't change. In your experience? Well, fear is the lizard brain. Okay. The reptilian brain is the oldest part of the brain. And that is nearly got hit by a car. So that surge of adrenaline that you would feel is not something that we have of being afraid of something tends to be when we feel vulnerable. It's back to why most people don't like changes because it enacts that part of the brain, that reptilian. And wow, isn't that amazing? We like to know what's going to happen tomorrow. We have Is that condition? constructs that we have used to create a way to live. When that gets disrupted by that, until I feel better about it, I feel less scared. That's never going to happen. Overcoming that fear that you just discussed. How you do you- can't. You can't overcome it. So okay. this is a really interesting. Yeah, lo- so what happens is we will say to ourselves that we will wait till we feel more. And I became instantly intrigued because at that point, I think three or four big books and confidence had come out. The confidence was more important than confidence was courage. Oh, that good word. Manifest courage. How do you 
I mean, how do you manifest confidence? Yeah, what is confidence? What is confidence? Ambition so I, of any endeavor. Yes. And successful could mean doing it once, twice, three times. Is there a... They're behind this big thing. It could kill someone. They could crash it. Their parents good at it. It takes some time. And then you get good at it. Then you pass your driver's test. Drive and think, okay, today's the day I might kill someone. I need to be on super alert. Yeah. Or you will continue to do that successfully. Yeah, and I that's like that. why I know predictive methodologies is how how often do I expect that this is going to be? Uh, yeah. There's another, uh, I don't know if this is a saying or where this came from, but um, is, uh, you know, how it's going going along with the confidence there, but how do you make it, make sure that this is perfect timing? When we were talking about, well, how does, how does something become so widely accepted and who's okay. looking at how we live in the future? I'm much more of an... So can really, really, really positive emotions. And and we saw that needed emotions that people are experiencing together. Yeah. Do you think people... I've switched it around a little bit. Uh, yeah. For no, my no. own needs. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's relevant because you, you have... This uncertainty is always going to be there. In, in terms of timing, I mean, my best... My best... Absolutely. What is What is the thing that we most need right now? And then for good or for bad. I mean, I'm obviously... No, everything can yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Everything can be. So it's really up to the people who have member. We can talk about making a difference. We can make a difference or we can do both. How did it? So back in the mid 2000s, okay. I wrote for the Formula One redesign should go and look at because their most current blog is called Brand New. Uh, something in a post about design advocacy about, and, and the actual quote was, we can talk about had a poster contest that year and the direct really really really, yeah lots of lots of reallys I I can't say enough good things about her she in 2005 I wanted a closing statement that would be repetitive came about that is awesome Debbie what type of what change is self-destructive or not of benefit to many people I mean, I think the benefit to many people is the thing that I am most moved by now. So How do we create change for, for the largest number of people to benefit? How can we create better protocols? How can we create better ways of building? How can we create a meaningful way to make things that isn't going to hurt the planet anymore, but will also give more people the opportunity to live in a way that's respectful and safe and generous. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a word that we haven't mentioned on this show that I, uh, all these, uh, the discipline, and uh, I wanted to hear your take on the word grit. Because you can put a lot of efforts, a lot of systems, a lot of psychology. We've got the grooves, the values. We have all those things. But there's to achieve something of, of meaning, like you're saying, there's a, a level of grit. If not a level, of complete grit. And obviously, I, I feel like you definitely have that. But how, do you, how does one get that? Can you get that or are you born with it? Honestly, Tom, I think it comes from desperation. Really? Yeah. Share with us. Well, I think if if you are in a place where you are utilizing grit to make something happen, it's because chances are it hasn't already happened. Say that again. The re- if if you're if you're using your grit, if you're using that sort of basic human emotion, I think that comes from being rejected. Oh. 
Really? Yeah. I'm using a sports metaphor because that's convenient. Is yeah, why does someone become as good as or great as they become is typically because they it wasn't easy for them. Right. And I think that the thing that concerns me about the creators and the makers of today, the young ones, the millennials and the Gen Zers, is that I, I think that because of the speed that we're able to communicate, because of the speed in which we're able to connect that we've lost some sense of patience and a, a sense of how to overcome adversity. And I think that people tend to give up faster because really? they yeah. have more choice. Yeah. And so if this doesn't work, then they can try that. If that person doesn't work out, they can try that. And so I think that there's really something to be said for staying the course. If you really, really want something, there's those reallys again, um, <laughs> to keep forging ahead in the face of adversity if you want it badly enough. Because in my mind, failure is only a failure if you accept defeat. Otherwise, it's just the path to success. Yeah. And how do you, how do you, you think there's a way to measure that sort of grit? How badly do you want it? Yeah. How badly is it, how badly do you feel like you need this in your life? And I call that a non-negotiable. And if this is something that you feel you must have, that you must accomplish, that you must be able to manifest, how much are you willing to give up to get it? And that might include being humiliated or it might include being disappointed yeah, or oftentimes being rejected or yeah, being humility. Yeah. And, and how much do you want that? So is, what is, what are your non-negotiables in life? And if you have non-negotiables, if these are the things that no matter what you want to be able to achieve them, attain them, manifest them, whatever it is, what are you willing to face in the pursuit of achieving them? Yeah. Debbie, we've covered quite a bit in, 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 our, in our hour. Are there any things or is anything in particular that you'd love to talk to? You know, it is your, as I say, it's your show, it's your audience that we may not have that you think would really be relevant and have people, it would really resonate and, and make them move in a, in a positive uh, direction for their own lives. Oh, that's <laughs> such nice a giant fun. question. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No. Well, I think with the understanding that branding has become democratized, if you want to make change in the world, you can. And there's never been a better time to be able to use the once relegated to capitalism tools to actually make cultural change. Actually, what I can say, and I'm going to quote another another Seth Godin gem, that government doesn't make culture. Culture makes government. Say that again. Government doesn't make culture. Culture makes government. Excellent. So that's what I'll leave you with. Oh, that is terrific. Debbie, that's Seth Godin. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. It's been a real privilege having, oh, wait, it's been a really, really, really great privilege having you as our guest today. Thank you. We're honored. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you consider coming back sometime when you come back to San Francisco. Absolutely. We'd love to have I'd you. I'd be honored. We, Thank we'd, you. We'd love to have you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Debbie Millman, writer, educator, artist, brand consultant, host of the radio show Design Matters, the world's first podcast about design and inquiry into broader world of creative culture through wide-ranging conversations with designers, writers, artists, curators, musicians, and other luminaries of contemporary thought. For more information, you can visit www.debbymillman.com. That's www.debbymillman.com. 
Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. The recording engineer and production manager is Jack Rogers, assistant engineer Akshay Jaggi, and we're all assisted by Caleb B. Smith. And the executive director and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, if you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with over 350 building product manufacturers, large and small. Modeler.com works with architects from 80% of the top 100 architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for their building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of their production and the broadcasting costs of the modern architect.